you for joining us on Radio Maria for the National Office of Vocations Conversation. Joining us today is a panel of guests speaking about their vocations and hosting the event is James Ryan from the Office of Vocations. The music throughout the event tonight will be some of the nominators, nominations and award winners for the Vocation Music Awards from last year. James, the microphone is all yours. So thanks, Helena, and good evening, everyone, and uh, a special welcome to uh, our panellists as well that we have on at the moment. Uh, we will introduce you all in a second. So uh, good evening to those that have joined us as well that are not our panellists, that are our guests. Uh, we'd really like to welcome you um, that have joined through uh, us virtually, or if you're listening in on Radio Maria as well, it's great to have you here. So uh, we are the National Office for Vocation, and I'm here with our team. We have uh, Sister Elaine Penrice, our director, who's with us tonight, who will be um, helping us alongside. We also have Sister Frances Kelly, who will uh, be talking with me tonight, who will also have the microphone presenting uh, with me. Um, it's great to have you here, Sister Frances, who is our uh, religious life promoter. And you have me, uh, James Ryan, who is the discipleship promoter for the National Office uh, for Vocation. So we're an organisation in the Church of England and Wales to help promote vocation, to help people hear God's call. That call that we get, that call to ultimately that leads to holiness. And that's what we're here today to bring about your top questions and a group of people that are living out their vocation here in the church in England and Wales at the moment. And we celebrate on Sunday, Vocation Sunday, the 8th of May. Now, this conversation, we're going to hear from those seven people, as I said, living out their vocation. So let's introduce them. Let's get on now and uh, talk about who they are. So Sister Frances Kelly, tell us, who is here with us tonight? Thank you, James. It's a great privilege for me to introduce tonight Helena Judd from Radio Maria, Deacon Toby Duckworth, Transitional Deacon at the Venerable English College in Rome, John Minister from the Catenians, Elliot Vanstone, Mission Advisor, Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales, Annabel Ward from Youth 2000, and Sister Philomena Purcell, Ursuline sister and a prison chaplain. Thank you, Sister Francis. What an amazing group of people that we're going to have uh, speak to us tonight. We'll hear them speak about their work and why they felt God called them uh, to this ministry or way of life. Now, once this has happened, we hand over to you, those who have joined us, either virtually or through Radio Maria. And you get to ask the panel your burning questions of the day. Now, there might be something that you've never thought of before that might come up when they're talking to us, the panel. So hold back, write them down. And then what you can do is you can write them into the chat, the chat function on the Zoom call um, for those that are joining us virtually. If you're joining us from Radio Maria and listening through the airwaves, please text in your questions as well. And you can text those questions into the following telephone number. That's 07502. 385010. And I'll repeat that again. That's 07502 385010. 
those questions that you've got listening to Radio Maria, send them into there and we'll make sure they're included today um, and given to our panel. So we are all very excited about today. There's been a long build up um, to how, where we've got to today. So let us draw our minds to vocation and discernment. Let's think about what that actually means for us in our lives. And I'm going to hand over now to Sister Frances, who's going to lead us in a prayer that's linked around vocation. So Sister Frances, can you lead us in prayer, please? Loving Father, you call us by name as we journey through life. Help us to be confident in our own unique identity and to find opportunities to develop our own gifts and passions. We pray that the Holy Spirit will pour on us wisdom and guidance to help us realize and follow our dreams, discerning your plan for our lives. Bless your church by raising up dedicated and generous people from our families and friends who will serve as priests, deacons, sisters and brothers. May we support one another in response to God's call. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So thank you, Sister Francis. Thank you for that prayer. We're going to go straight into our first panellist tonight. So um, our first panellist is Helena Judd, who we hear uh, up and down the country in our kitchens, in our car radios, in our workplaces, on digital radio. She's a, an amazing radio presenter from Radio Maria England. So welcome, Helena. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your work and why you feel God has called you to spread the good news over the radio. Thank you, James. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not all over the country. Who knows? Who knows? The God has called each and every one of us. And when I was younger, uh, I thought I was called to, to be on the stage. It didn't take long for me to figure out that I <laughs> was not to be on the stage, but to be behind it, um, helping uh, adults and teens and children with learning disabilities uh, perform and create music, dance and theatre on stage. And I loved it. It was connecting them and helping show their story and share their story with others. Well, the pandemic happened. <laughs> Theatres kind of went down, got shut away. And at, and at that point, God said, Helena, I think this is what he said. He said, Helena, there's this radio station starting in Cambridge and they need somebody to connect the church with the listeners. And since that's what you feel called to do is to share stories, why don't you try that? <laughs> and I did. And here I am, not used to being on screen at all, so mainly just behind the scenes, and really loving sharing the amazing work that the church does, the amazing work that these people in this panel are doing for people like you that might be listening or watching now. It has been such a blessing, and I, I, I'm just so thankful to God <laughs> for pushing me into this. And it's, it, yeah. And it's really, it's just connecting. It's, it's, it's not me being out there. I'm not the voice. I am just the connection. And it's been a blessing to me. And we hope that it's been a, a blessing for people to hear 
all the good work that the church is doing, that you guys are doing here in England and around the world, spreading God's news and love. <laughs> Thank you, Helena. That's wonderful to, to hear your story. And, and we, are, we are thankful that you have responded by saying yes to God's call. That's a fantastic. And um, so um, we're very blessed to have you uh, with us here tonight. And thank you. We now have Deacon Toby Duckworth, who is a transitional deacon at the Venerable English College in Rome. Deacon Toby, tell us a little bit more about yourself. And most importantly, can you tell us what a transitional deacon is and what this means, please? Of course. Thank you. It's lovely to be with you all this evening. I'm joining you from Rome, from the seminary, where I've been for the last uh, almost six years now. And um, it's quite an adventure being in seminary, I must admit. Um, but basically, a transitional deacon is somebody that becomes a deacon on the way to becoming a priest. Um, so I'm now just uh, two and a half months away now from, from priestly ordination. So it's getting very exciting, very real. Um, doing all sorts of practice confessions and uh, and the like. So it's getting very exciting. Um, but really, I want to go back in time a little bit and, and talk to you a little bit about where I think this priestly vocation came from. Obviously from God, but he had to sort of break through into my life to, to almost shout down the ear a little bit. And um, I think he has to do that for each one of us in very different ways. Um, and for me, a really important time was during sixth form. Um, I had a place to study chemistry at Loughborough and, and uh, I just realised partway through the year that the only reason that I was going to go off to university was because everybody else does that and it was just the normal next step and something just wasn't sitting right with me. Uh, I didn't feel like it was me, I had no reason to go and at the last minute I asked to join the Darcy and Lords pilgrimage. And that year I went to Lourdes, I'd been the year before, and I made it my prayer, Lord, just show me where you want me next. Because university just doesn't seem right right now. And it was during that time I saw a lot of young people that were alive with faith, I hadn't seen so many young adults together in one place that were praising God and wanting to serve in some capacity in the church, even as married people or religious, whatever it might be, Everybody was there with this vibrant faith, and I wanted to just be part of them. And there was an evening of prayer, 300 or so young adults of my diocese being led by 20 young adults. And I was blown away. And I felt the Lord just perhaps suggesting that it would be nice to be in that group of 20 young adults as the next step. And I think that's the first thing I want to say about my journey of vocation is that it wasn't sort of one moment of gosh Toby I want you to be my priest there was lots of little steps along the way the Lord revealing just what to do now and um, I spent a fantastic couple of years working on the retreat teams as a result of that experience in Lord and um, there I began to live a real life of prayer daily prayer and um, it was during that time in the small quiet moments of prayer in the morning particularly one Advent, that I really thought the Lord was calling me to priesthood. In fact, a lot of people in my parish were saying the same, and uh, I just thought, what is all this? It was not my idea at all. 
I painted myself a storybook ending of life. I was going to find the girl of my dreams. I was going to have a family. I was going to sail off into the sunset and have plenty of holidays. Um, and this just wasn't what I had planned for me. And um, yeah, it took some getting used to. And I had a fantastic bit of advice from a priest friend at that point. And he said, okay, try and bury it. Bury the fact that you think the Lord wants you to be a priest. But you know what? If the Lord really wants you to be a priest, then little by little, he will plant a desire in your heart that will grow and grow and grow until you can imagine doing nothing else but be a priest. And honestly, I can say that has been the case for me. I knew nothing about the priesthood other than what the priest did on a Sunday morning at Mass. And uh, after two years with the Youth Retreat Centre, I said, look, I can't just throw myself out there and say, Lord, I'll be your priest if I don't know a bit more about priesthood. And praise God, the vocations director had a great idea of going and living with a priest for a year and sort of working in the parish and seeing the life of a priest. And I can't tell you how much that did for me. I did some things on my own. I taught RE, catechesis, preparing people for the sacraments. But I also sat there at the bedside as people were dying and saw a priest give hope for a world beyond this world. And you know what? That's exactly what this elderly woman who was on her deathbed said. You know what I love about priests? You prove to me that there is life beyond this world. And you know what? I was so full of joy at hearing that. And throughout this whole year, getting involved in parish life, that I really thought that maybe the Lord wanted me to do this and that I would be good at doing it too, to be the listening ear, to be there at the highs and lows of people's lives, not just to bring me, but to be a bit of a channel of God's grace. I took a massive leap of faith. I applied to the seminary and I've been here for almost six years. Seminary is a real adventure. Um, I can't tell you how much I've grown as a result of it. The first couple of years, really asking what on earth is human, human life about? What is discipleship about? I ended up walking along Camino thinking, gosh, am I in, am I out? You've got a real adventure. There's highs, there's lows. You think, gosh, what am I doing? But you know what? I genuinely believe the Lord has given me this big heart that he wants me to be there for him and for his people. And just, I'm doing that with so much joy. I can't tell you how happy I am to think that in two and a half months time, I'll be a priest, not for me, but for him. And I, I, I just tell you now, um, yeah, the Lord surprises you. He has so many different twists and turns along the way. But for me, it's always been, he's shown me the next step, then the next step, then the next step. And he's fanned into a flame a desire for this vocation. Um, and I pray that's the same for each and every one of you, whatever it might be. Uh, Deacon Toby, what a story. Uh, just blown away by it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, I've heard as well so many vocation stories come out of Lourdes. Um, you know, even one of my own priest friends, um, his vocation uh, to the priesthood came out of um, deep prayer at Lourdes and God basically saying, you know, I love you and I want you to do this. And it's a, it was a really incredible moment to hear him tell me that story. So 
I really do uh, uh, sort of feel that, you know, that's that's an incredible story that you've got there. And uh, Camino, what a walk. I do love a good Camino. I've done one myself and uh, it was great fun. Absolutely loved it. So thank you so much um, for sharing that with us tonight. Um, absolutely incredible vocation story. And we'll look forward to giving you some good questions a little bit later on as we move into our question and answer. So next up, what we're going to do is we're going to move to John. So John Minister from the Catenians, who uh, works uh, within the Catenians within the Church of England and Wales. Uh, John, tell us a little bit more about the Catenians, about your work and about what uh, you're involved in. Uh, thank you. Um, I've uh, been in the Catenians for 47 years, which means I joined quite young, uh, certainly younger than many Catenians these days. Uh, they're an international social network, and they provide a lot of support uh, for the faith of their brothers and for the families. Um, they provide each month a place to find a group of new friends who also share the Catholic ethos. My own background is a very Catholic one. I grew up in a very Catholic family, both parents practicing Catholics in Wallasey, which seemed to be streaming with Catholics. Half the children in school in Wallasey were from Catholic families. That seems strange to us now, doesn't it? Our parish had four priests in it. When I went to university, um, and Deacon Toby was reminding me of this, uh, I was um, bound to be a nuclear scientist. In fact, I did spend six months with the Atomic Energy Authority. But I suppose in a way, God was calling me to a different vocation. Uh, I discovered with my fellow students when we went into a um, borrowed a maths classroom uh, and went in to solve the week's problems, I discovered I was a good teacher. And they always wanted me to take the piece of chalk and go to the board and go through the problems with them. Uh, so when I finished my four years at university, I decided to try teaching. And um, 39 years later, I was still doing it and uh, did, did eventually retired. So I'm a retired physics teacher, but I'm a full-time Catenian. Uh, and that's come about because I've always been involved with Catholic groups. And I remember in the early days, I was um, influenced by an, inf uh, an inspirational teacher uh, who not only taught me physics, but taught me through a junior SVP group what Catholic action was about and how to care for the needs of those uh, in want. Um, and that had a big effect on my life. And when I left school, I joined the SVP in my local parish. And there I met a man who reminds me uh, of Deacon Tony because he was happy. He was always cheerful. He was always positive. And I thought 
if a good practicing Catholic is going to be like that, I want a bit of that. He is cheerful, he is happy, uh, he is thanking God for his life, and he is giving service to others. And I've always been attracted to that uh, model of giving service to others. Um, and uh, I've been in various groups, and when I was 34, so you can work out my age now, when I was 34, I was uh, encouraged by two friends to join the Katinians. Um, and I have never said no when I've been asked to do a job. The result of that is that I now um, serve as director for the Midlands uh, on the National Council of the Katinians. And as Sister Elaine knows, I'm chair of the Faith and Youth Group. And we are trying to support young people uh, in their faith uh, in those difficult years where they leave school and go to university. And we hope to establish contacts with universities and university chaplains um, throughout the country. And that is one of my tasks in the coming years. I think I'll leave it there. Thank you, John. Um, it's wonderful to hear so much about the Catanians and the important work that you do, um, especially, as you said there, for um, young people and your presence within universities. So we are now going to listen, um, pause for a short moment and listen to some music uh, once again from the Music Award that was held last year. Step out and see what is deep. Feel the waves swell at my feet. I see you waiting patiently for me. No one but the Son of God could call me out unto these seas. So I will walk out Say 
Uh, Walk on Water by Kate Flanders, who performed at our Vocation Music Awards uh, last year, one of our finalists. And the Vocation Music Awards, if you don't know about it, uh, was um, an awards ceremony last year. We invited uh, people across England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland to submit um, a song um, on Vocation. And we had uh, numerous entrants um into the competition and it was all about vocation and we had uh, songs on the vocation to marriage songs to the vocation to priesthood songs on the vocation um to religious life um the different states of life people's work really building this culture of vocation now if you're interested and you're listening in um to the uh vocation music awards you can search that in any well-known search engine and you'll arrive at the vocation music award site so do go and and check it out it's uh, a wonderful wonderful competition um with cash prizes up for grabs um and we are looking to run that again uh, very shortly in collaboration with the national office for vocation um and vocations ireland and vocation network scotland as well So we shall move on. We next have um, Elliot Vanstone, who is the mission advisor for the Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales. Now, Elliot, it's great to have you on tonight and to to hear from you. Tell us more about your work as uh, the mission advisor for the Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales and why you felt called to undertake this work. Thank you very much, James, and thanks for having me, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, Yes, as James said, I'm the Mission Advisor for the Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales, helping all of our lovely bishops and assisting them in their work. As as difficult as it may be at times, it's a fantastic job, and I'm very, very glad to be where I am. But I thought I would uh, 
just give a little background about myself and how I managed to end up working in my my dream job. <laughs> so I went to a Catholic secondary school um, and after my A-levels, I loved philosophy and I loved history and I didn't really know what to study. So I picked theology, which is the, the combination of both of them and went to St. Mary's University in Twickenham and studied theology, um, which was a fantastic experience, prompted many different challenges, going quite deep into my faith deeper than I'd ever gone before, reading books I never thought I'd read, hearing things I never thought I'd hear, and really questioning sort of my faith and everything about my faith. But in actual fact, being in a, a darker place, you, you come out stronger, and my faith has massively improved because of that. And then following that, I then studied a master's in Catholic social teaching, also from St. Mary's University, and I, I thought, wow, what an opportunity this is. I couldn't pass it up, so I studied that for a year. And I finished that in 2020, thinking that it would be a very easy, easy thing to get a job with two degrees. I thought there's no other factors in the world at the moment that could possibly stand in the way of me getting any sort of employment. Obviously, it was a COVID-19 pandemic, something that had never been seen before that was that was standing in my way. And I was I struggled to find a job. Um, I was I was with an employment help agency. So I had a logbook and I'd, I applied for 643 jobs with uh, the mission advisor at the Bishop's Conference being the lucky number 643. But I, I tested my faith quite a lot. Um, but I knew it had to be my vocation because after three, 400 jobs, I, I started thinking to myself, no, it's not my calling to do this job. I, I'm being called to do another job. When it got to 500 jobs, I thought, this, it's not my calling. I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for my calling from God. At about 600 jobs, I thought, surely God's got the wrong number here. I, <laughs> I thought, I'm not getting this call. And then I thankfully had an interview with three of the best people I've, I've met in my life. And it was the best interview I had with the Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales. Um, and thankfully, they, they offered me the job as mission advisor. And I'm now so lucky to work with James, Sister Elaine and Sister Francis. Um, doing everything I can to to help the Catholic Church in England and Wales on their mission and helping younger people to get involved in the church, which is something I feel very passionate about, especially while studying at a Catholic uni. I'd, I'd have a lot of people coming up to me and I'd, I'd hear a lot about why young Catholics struggle in their faith. So I feel like I'm now finally finally making an impact, but I feel like it was it was my, my calling from God to work for the Bishop's Conference and a calling that I I've gratefully accepted and picked up straight away. <laughs> but thanks very much, Jane. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you for sharing um, your personal story and your journey, and also some information on the great work that you carry out for the church in England and Wales. Much needed and necessary work. And um, it's great to have you in the office, Elliot, and we're delighted um, that you're with us. Fantastic. Thank you, Elliot. Next up, we have Annabelle Ward from Youth 2000. And this wonderful youth organization helps so many young people on their own discipleship journey. Annabelle, tell us more about it and why you feel God has called you to work for this organization. Thank you, sister. Thank um, you, Annabelle. And thank you so much for having me. What a privilege um, to be here. I just, I love vocation stories. God is so 
unique um, with each one of us. So yeah, it's a privilege to be here and listen. Um, so as Sister said, I work for Youth 2000. We're a Catholic youth initiative. Um, we host events all across the UK that um, are designed to bring young people into a relationship with Jesus. And we place the sacraments at the center of what we do. So it's 24 seven adoration, Jesus is the center. And we encourage young people to go back to confession and to plug into a community and really just connect with other young people um, across the UK. So it's a really awesome organization to work for, but certainly not one um, I think I planned or had someone told me that I'd be doing this at university. Um, I'd have just been very shocked and overwhelmed. Um, so I grew up Catholic and um, I'm kind of an all in or an all out kind of person. I'm a bit a bit too over like 110% with anything. And um, I got to university and like most other young people and probably most young Catholics that definitely I encounter had this kind of crisis moment of faith of, am I going to do this or do I want to live in the world? And unfortunately, I chose 100% out and, and was 100% in the world and went for that. Um, pursued this life, pursued success. Um, I became an accountant after university, living in London, and felt like I had done everything that was going to bring me happiness in life. And it absolutely did not. <laughs> so I had this turning point of... Um, yeah, just being really encouraged by my family to to return to the faith and just explore whether this was something that maybe made a bit more sense in life. Um, so I did an Alpha course. It really changed my life. And I just felt such a conviction to be 100% Catholic. So I went 100% back in and all the way in, <laughs> was attending every retreat I could. Um, and at this point in my life, I was working still as an accountant um, for an events company so we were putting on secular events uh, globally I was traveling I was having a really really fun time um, but the more I was growing in faith and the more I was getting closer to the Lord I just knew that there was something not right here um, that I just felt so it was too secular you know it was all about making money and I just felt that that wasn't compatible anymore with my faith so I went on a retreat um, I love adoration. I spent time with Jesus and I just said, you know, Lord, you've given me this life. You've given me these gifts. You've given me so much. Um, and I'm so grateful for that, but I've messed it up doing it my way. So I give you my life back and I give you full permission to do whatever you want to do. And I will say yes, which in hindsight was pretty bold. And I'm not sure had I known <laughs> what he'd asked me to do, whether I'd still have prayed that prayer. Um, but yeah, he just he just started opening doors. So I actually resigned from my job um, in about the summer of 2019 um, without having kind of the next step in place. But I knew the Lord was saying, trust me, there's there's something coming. Um, and by the beginning of 2020, I was faced with about three different options of ministry and ways I could serve the church and build up young people in the church. Um, so I went back to adoration, spent time with Jesus. And I just said, Lord, like you show me, you show me which door is for you. And he was saying, youth 2000. And I was saying, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to work for a national charity. I'm not formed enough. I'm not equipped enough. So no. And he was saying, yes, youth 2000. Um, and praise God. I, I said, yes, I took the job and actually the pandemic then hit so every other option I had 
was never an option after that moment. So the Lord knew best um, and he worked with me. So I've been working for Youth 2000 um, since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, so all of my events experience didn't come in handy at all <laughs> until this year, but it's been just the most blessed journey um, and just to end, I think, on a highlight, I we put on a big festival last summer, which was our first big event um, back together after COVID. And there was about 350 young people, um, most of them for the first time. You know, they'd found us through online um, social media and they'd come just with broken hearts, just desperate to kind of to just encounter God's love and mercy. Um, so we had a reconciliation evening. It's a really key part of our events. And after the main speaker had stood up and talked about confession, the entire room got up and left. So I need to say that confession was happening in a separate room. And I'm turning to my team thinking, what have we said? Like the whole event has just left the room. <laughs> what have we done? And there were 200 people in the queue for confession, 200 young people. And I had you know, 18-year-olds, 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds coming up to me afterwards saying, I've, ne I've not been to confession or I've only, I haven't been since my first Holy Communion. And I went back and I was saying, great, how was it? And, you know, they're saying, it was amazing. I loved it. So that is what I get to do now. And I don't think any secular job um, could fulfill me in this way. So, yeah, thank you for having me here. Annabelle, thank you very much for that. And um, yeah, I can agree with you. We were there with you on that night up in Ampleforth, uh, um, the, the festival, and we were amazed at uh, the young people going um, to confession and how they were really reconciled when they came out. Um, it was an unbelievable uh, thing to witness. Thank you for being with us tonight and thank you for sharing um, a little bit about Youth 2000 and what you do and um, obviously the festivals that you hold so necessary for our young people and also for vocations coming out. Um, I also have a number of friends, just like I said to um, Toby, um, with regards to when they've been to Youth 2000 and encountered Youth 2000 events, that has led on to part of their vocation. Um, and we've had great families, we've had great priests, deacons, and religious come out of um, Youth 2000 events. So um, thank you for being with us tonight. And I'm sure there will be, once again, some good questions for you as we move forward into the question and answer a little bit later on. But last, but no means least, we have the amazing sister Philomena Purcell with us tonight, who is an Urshalion sister and working as a prison chaplain in HMP Chelmsford. We are so thrilled that you could be with us tonight and able to join us to tell us a little bit about why God has called you to this um, special vocation of prison chaplaincy. So sister, welcome. Tell us a little bit more about why God might have called you to this work and a little bit about the work that you do um, in the chaplaincy as well. Right. Lovely to speak to everybody. Uh, you can all hear me. We can. <laughs> Good. Now, I, um, five years before I retired from teaching, I wrote to our bishop and I said, I really would like to give something back. Uh, coming from a very large family with nine brothers and um, seven sisters, 
and being the middle child, eight younger, eight older, and coming from a lovely, lovely family, good parents, good fun, good everything. And um, so I wrote to the bishop about becoming a prison chaplain, and he told me to write to uh, Father Dorricott, who was in a prison, and so I wrote him, and he wrote back to me, Dear Sister Philomena, two lines, thank you for your letter. We have one sister here, Sister Mary. Thank you very much, a sister of mercy. Good luck. And that was all. So anyway, but eventually in the year 2002, which is 20 years ago, I started my walk on the 4th of February uh, in Chelmsford Prison. And my brothers were saying to me, look, you, you, you'll be safe. You'll, you'll do well. You'll be all right. Don't worry. And um, by that time, my mother had died. And so um, I entered the prison. And as soon as I got inside the gate, all the paraphernalia of getting through security, etc. as soon as I got inside, the sun began to shine. And I thought, thank you, Lord, I'm here. And 20 years later, I'm still there. Can I just say, I have met God in the prison. I have met God in the people I meet. Uh, in 2003, we did an Ignatian retreat. We had 15 um, Christians, Catholic, Church of England, Presbyterian, Methodist, etc. They were all Christian. And we had one young lad, and we went on, we would start, you know, what was good, what we found good. And then at the end, we review, and we did the exam, and that was made a great impression on many of them. But one day, a young Indian lad came in, and he had a, a paper rolled up like a scroll. And he said, is anyone going to ask me what I've got written down? And we said, come on, Stan, tell us. And in it, he'd written, if we make ourselves available, God will make us capable. And I have never forgotten that. I have never forgotten that. Another example I can give about the prison, uh, where God is walking, the bishop comes in every Christmas and says Mass and meets the prisoners. And Bishop Thomas McMahon came in and he gave the sermon five words. God loves me very much. He said it again, God loves me very much. And he sat down, he said, and that was all. And then the mass went on. The next day, a young lad, as I came in, shepherded out through his, his cell, the bars of his cell window. Sister P, Sister P, come up and see me. So I went up and he said to me, do you know what? I said, you tell me. I know how to say the rosary. He said, on each feed, I say, God, next one, loves me very much. And he said, do you know what? I really believe it. And sometimes when I'm travelling, travelling especially on a train or a bus, I can say that God loves me very much. Now, during the pandemic, which is really quite tragic, and a lot of the prisoners were locked up, and 
it was really hard. And I was followed for a little while. And when I came back, I was walking along over the terrain of the prison. And another prisoner shouted out again through his window. He said, Sister P, be blessed, not stressed. So I walked on and I thought, wave and thank you, thank you, Rob. Wonderful, I tried. The next day he said, don't be stressed, be blessed. So we go around now saying that. And really and truly, God is walking in, in all the prisons. God is walking everywhere. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure if Jesus was here on earth, he would be very much at home in a prison. And the respect you get from the prisoners, the respect and the and the generosity they have for each other. You know how I just don't know how people cope. I just don't know how I cope. I just I feel for, for prisoners. I pray for them. When I come home the evening, I light a candle. Today now I did a service for a, a young man whose partner lost um, she was expecting twins and one died in the womb. So that was very hard. So we just did a little service. And, and then after that, another one, he was four years ago, the young people of their grandmothers. And it was four years ago since his grandmother died. And he told me he was sad. And he said, well, could you do a memorial service? And we did. We did one together. So you, you become the grandmother. You become the friend. You become the accompanier, and you, it's, it's a rare privilege, that's all I can say. And God is very, very much among the down and outs. And now we have so many prisoners who are homeless, and prison is a haven for them because they've got meals, clean, shower. Why? Why are so many people homeless? But all I can say is, I love the men in the chambers of the prison. And God, I thank God every day for giving me this privilege, which I didn't think. I only wish my mom and dad were alive and I'd be able to tell them. Anyway, that's all I have to say. God is alive. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Thank you, Sister Philomena, for sharing with us this evening the important work that you carry out to support those within our prisons. And it's just been wonderful to hear some testimony from yourself on what you have experienced there as well, and the love and support that you give to those prisoners. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us here this evening. Thank you. And don't forget... Don't be stressed, be blessed. What a great quote. <laughs> okay, so we're now going to have a short music break where we're going to hear from uh, Sarah Ohiki, who sung Finished Tapestry in the Vocation Music Awards competition. Now, this is the time for you all to think about what you've heard today from our uh, six panelists and to think uh, of some questions that you may 
I've had and to submit them into the chat. Um, hopefully, you'll all be able to get the chat up. Once again, hopefully, if you've been uh, listening in through uh, Radio Maria, you would be able to submit your um, questions through the text on the telephone number. I'll give that to you again. 07502. 385010. That's 07502 385010. That will go directly through to Radio Maria, where Helena um, is on that and will be able to um, put some questions um, from the uh, listeners of the radio to, to our panelists. And we'll have some questions ready for you um, when we get back from this musical break. Thank you. 
wonderful song there by Sarah who was one of our top three finalists in the Vacation Music Award competition. Um, what a fantastic song we had there about uh, the vacation to marriage and her finding um, her, uh, her husband, her spouse, which is beautiful, lovely. Um, we're going to move in now to the question and answer session and we've had some of your questions coming in um, the first one I'm actually going to ask um, has come in from Radio Maria. Um, and this one um, is for Elliot, actually. Elliot, the first question we, which is asked is, what advice uh, would you give young people that are going to university? That's a fantastic question. I, um, I think the advice I'd give is to keep yourself open to things and try and ignore the fact that you might think there is a stigma against you because of your faith. Because I think a lot of young people I spoke to had themselves down the rabbit hole that everyone was going to treat them differently because they were a person of faith. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. People at uni were very open to understanding new things. That's why they were there. You know, people that are, that are at university, they go there to learn new things. They go to learn new people. They go to learn new cultures, learn new ethnicities. So why not add religions onto that group as well, you know? And I think a lot of people at my uni, and my uni was a religious uni, so we had people from all faiths and none there, were very open to listening about things. And they just wanted to hear my experiences, and they wanted to, to not get spoke at, but spoke to and included in a conversation. And I think if you're going to speak to anybody, especially at university, speak in a conversation with people, and they'll massively respect you for it. And that was how, that was the sort of experience that I that I found. Great stuff. Does anyone else want to chip into that as well um, with regards to university and what we can do at university? Yeah, Annabelle. If I, yeah, if I can chip in. Um, I think my advice during, I guess I kind of see people pre-uni and then a lot of people post-university that have maybe really struggled in their faith. Mm-hmm. And um I think the biggest thing I've learned is that young people need community. They need to feel supported in their faith. So whether that's plugging into a chaplaincy, if the chaplaincy, if there isn't one or it's not quite 
you know, the right place for you, plug into your parish, plug into these national ministries that exist, just find a support group of people that will pray for you, that will journey with you, that are still filling you. Um, so that as um, Elliot was saying there, you, you're kind of being supported both ends, you're equipped to speak into university culture, but you're also still being fed and you're being um, loved by your community as well. So I think community is really important part of that. Lovely. And John? Uh, can I just say, as, many, as I've sent many students off to university, uh, that um, you're not on your own. Uh, when you go to university, it can feel quite lonely. Uh, and also, you can feel that everybody else doesn't share your views uh, or the practice of your faith. But there are others there, and my advice is to get in touch with the Catholic chaplain and to see if there is what is called at university Cathsoft, which is Catholic society. And they get together, um, they share their faith, but they also share fun. Uh, and usually students uh, like a bit of fun uh, and a bit of entertainment. They're going to lectures and writing essays and doing a question, answering questions can be a bit dry. Uh, and many students will look for fun and companionship. And my advice is, if there's a cassock there, go and join and be with others. Lovely. Thank you, John. That's a great answer. And thank you, Annabelle, as well, and Elliot. Um, I noticed some have their hands up. We're only taking answers from the panel tonight. Um, so if you feel like you want to say anything, please do put it in the chat and uh, we will forward that on to our panellists. Um, Sister Frances, you've got the next question for us. Yeah, I have here, James. Um, and this one is for Helena. Helena, do you think you help others discern and find their vocation by broadcasting Christian material on the radio day in and day out? Oh, okay. So it's, it's, ah, so the beauty of uh, Radio Maria is it's, it is, it is Christian. It is based in the majesty of the church, but we, we don't, we do have mass, we have liturgy of the hours, we have live rosaries and prayer that we can communicate with the listeners. They can call in no matter where they're at, which has been a blessing, especially uh, for those uh, in prison. During the lockdown, chaplains weren't allowed into the prisons, in hospitals, in nursing homes. And it was it was providence, really, I think. I, I'll take it, I'll give it to the Lord that Radio Maria started at the very beginning of the pandemic of the lockdown. We thought we were getting ready for England to be reconsecrated to Mary. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mary had a different plan. So we so we we broadcast all these all these parts of the church, but we also broadcast this these programs that are entertainment and life. And in it, we keep thinking, oh, can we can we broadcast this gentleman sharing how to make a perfect cup of tea? <laughs> What does that have to do with Christianity or our Catholic life? But by bringing in as a community, talking about sports, talking about films, talking about uh, uh, travel, talking about all these parts of life, in a way, we're encouraging ourselves as a community. We're encouraging ourselves as people 
And by having, inviting the Holy Spirit to be part of the listening process and part of this dialogue, in a way we're hoping our listeners have that encounter with the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus as well. So we've got loads of beautiful, wonderful programs. There's opportunities to pray with priests, to pray with sisters, uh, to ask questions. But there's also just the, the life portions, quizzes, like, can you name this song? Which decade? And it just brings our life. I'm sure uh, a friend, Sister Francis or, or John or Sister Elaine, I'm sure you guys play board games in your communities and you have just life experiences. But as long as you invite the Lord to be part of it, you are making that experience, that encounter holy. And that's what your vocation is, guys, is just taking those encounters and bringing the Lord a part of it, even if it's just helping someone cross the road, even if it's planting a plant with a primary school student, it, it's bringing the Lord to them, planting those seeds. I hope, I don't know if I answered the question. <laughs> you did, Helena. Thank you so much. Thanks, Helena. Thank that's great. Thank you for um, answering that for us. We now move on to another one that's come in for the, a person well, for Deacon Toby. Um, this question has come in and it says, what's the best advice do you have for someone that is going to seminary? Oh, very good question. Okay, I would say um, go slowly and be patient with yourself more than anything. Um, seminary is a long journey. It's not something that happens overnight. Um, it's a time for honestly asking all of the deep questions of your heart and not letting any of that, um, not letting any element of yourself be hidden away. The Lord likes to meet us in the mess of us and then likes to put us together. Um, and he likes to put us together in the way that he wants us to be. And so um, I'd say that seminary is a time to, to really open your heart um, and be very real with the Lord. And um, also it's a place where you can make some very, very good friends for the rest of your life. Uh, even, some, even for some of the people that have left seminary um, and discerned a different vocation, um, we've made such lifelong friends because you ask those real deep questions and you talk about them together and you have friendships that will just stay with you forever. Um, so I'd say, yeah, just ask the deep questions, speak to other people about those deep questions and um, don't hide anything away from the Lord. That's what I'd say. Wonderful. Thank you, Toby. That's a, that's a great answer for anyone that is discerning priesthoods, going to seminary, um, you know, any stage of their their life. And uh, yeah, great, great advice there. So the question that we probably don't really ever get answered or never have the opportunity to, to ask uh, many people. So thank you for um, the person that sent that one in. Um, that's much appreciated. Sister Frances, you've got the next one. I have, James. And this is for anyone on the panel to answer. Do you think the work that you do helps you on your personal path to holiness. Who's going to go for that one? Mm. I'll definitely jump in with that if you want. Okay. Um, I know I've just spoken. <laughs> <laughs> no, but of course, um, what, we, what we do each day for the Lord um, is, is, is absolutely central to the way that we are called to be holy. Um, the Lord makes us a certain way to love in a certain way. And by loving... Whichever way that is, whether that's as a priest, whether that's as a religious, whether that's as a as a married layman or waywoman, um, you doing that 
bringing the Lord to it, loving in that place, that's your way to heaven. We all have a particular way. Yeah, so definitely. Great. And um, Helena, you also had your hand up there. Yeah, so it's uh, my in my position, I have got such a blessing to hear just tonight all these different stories of how people bless one another. And as my vocation as a wife, I it has been so helpful by not by being able to take a step back. And we have a couple of programs where uh, some men have come on to talk about uh, being fathers, being husbands, bringing God into that relationship. And that and then we have women's programs where we do the same. And it has been so helpful to have that connection and that community with the listeners and with the people speaking and think, how can it does this relate to my life? Does this can I take that idea and use that? Or, and this is the most humbling part of this position, is is learning when to shh and just listen. So that is definitely one way for me. Lovely. Thanks, Helena. And we go over to John as well. John's got an answer for this, T. Uh, yes. Um, people say, oh, you're very good because you go and you help people in need. I spent 20 years as a brancardier in Lourdes for the Birmingham Lewards pilgrimage. Um, and really, I think I got more out of that than the people that I was helping. Uh, and it was a, a great strengthening of faith, and particularly to see the uh, young people, the, the 17, 18-year-olds that uh, we had to help us as old men. Um, with the uh, pilgrims who were poorly or disabled in some way, um, and to see the youngsters give them help and the effect it had on them uh, of developing their faith. Is it St. Paul who says, uh, show me your good deeds? You know, uh, and it's good deeds, really, that define our faith. It's our faith in practice. So I think Catholic action is good and it helps other people, but by Joe, it does help yourself and it does strengthen your belief. Lovely. Thank you, John. Uh, another lovely answer for a, a really good question from that one. I think that one might have actually come in from uh, Radio Marissa, uh, Radio Maria, one of our one of our listeners on there. So thank you. Thanks for um, all of you that answered that one. I'm going to hand over to Sister Frances now, who's got the next question. Okay, James, thank you. Um, so the next question is, um, I am so often able to look back and see where God has been in my faith journey but I still struggle to open my heart and mind and to hear or feel God in the here and now. Any suggestions from the panel on how to do this? Okay, who would like to take that one? Yeah, Sister Philomena. We'll just get you unmuted. Now, the thing is, go gently. God is with us where we are. And at the end of every day, to find something that made you happy, 
something that made you feel more alive. That is where God was walking. And the thing is, we are made for happiness, but so much has happened during COVID that to find that little streak of happiness, it's so important. And, you know, we are special. That's that's the one thing I can always... I think of my mother because my sisters were tall and I'm not. But my mother used to say... I, she was tall herself. I think she did like tall people. And she said, yeah, they lovely. They look so smart. And then she used to say to me, but you're compact. Be, you're compact, she would say to me. But be content in what we are because God, God is with us where we are. And we are special. We are special. That's all I can say. Oh, lovely. Sister Philomena, that was great. Okay. And Elliot? Thinking in terms of thinking of walking, one of my favourite prayers is footprints in the sand. And it's mm-hmm. all about a person's discovery and figuring out why when there was only one set of footprints at the hardest points of life, why did God abandon the person at that time? And then God speaks to the person and says, no, it was actually then that I carried you. That one set of footprints is actually, they belong to me. And that's always really struck a chord with me because I think we have to trust God. You have to put faith in God and the, the results will come through because that person didn't trust God and thought that God had abandoned him. And actually God was closer than he, than he ever had been. And you know, that person, God was close to that person at that point. And I think we have to trust God and know that God will always be close to us. Oh, thanks, Elliot. A lovely answer. And I do love that prayer myself, the footprints in the sand. It's a great one. We're going to invite our director in, Sister Elaine, to come and uh, give an answer to this question as well. So welcome, Sister Elaine. Oh, thanks, James. Um, you make me feel shy now saying that I'm director. <laughs> it was just um, in response to that question. It just reminded me so much of when I was studying myself, when I was doing my theology and particularly biblical theology. And I remember the teacher saying once about the, the Hebrew people, about the Jews when they were write, writing, writing their history. And if you can imagine, because he demonstrated it in the class, this is, you know, the Hebrew people saw themselves as walking backwards into the future. So you just imagine that in your head. The walking backwards is you can't see where you're going, but they can see where they've been. And it just just came into my head when when the the questioner had had said that I, I I recognize where God has been in my past, and I think that's the story of the the our, our faith tradition is that we can only ever see where God has been. I mean, even how we know Jesus is because it's been passed on to us through the faith of hundreds of thousands of Christians who have gone before us. And that's when we start to realise that our faith perhaps can be influenced not just by our own experience of God because we remember what he has been in the past. That is what he will be in the future for us. But at the same time, that's why we are called to be community And that's one of the wonderful things about living in a religious community and what we're called to, like a faith community, uh, a church and a parish community, is that when when we don't feel 
that presence of God. That's when we can rely on the support of our brothers and sisters in the parish or our friends or those who, who, who feel their, their faith is very alive at the moment. And we find Jesus in them. So open your, 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 your arms and reach out to, to, to your friends, to your family, to your church. Uh, there are people around you who will help you see God and you will find God in them. And perhaps that's the invitation for you these days. Lovely. Thank you, Sister Elaine. What a lovely answer. And uh, I hope that's answered that deep question. And what a beautiful question. Um, we've got another one directly to um, Deacon Toby. This one here says, um, I'm dating a girl at the moment, but I also have the desire to be a priest. What would you recommend? <laughs> There's no easy answer to that one at all. Um, <laughs> the, the biggest thing I'd, I'd suggest is, um, first of all, make sure you have a spiritual director, someone to talk through the, the ups and the downs, the, the real desires of your heart as they, as they move and change. Um, and I would also say that actually a frank conversation with, with that girl, um, that there is this part of you that is um, resonating in prayer, um, that, that, that is discerning a vocation, because um, I think honesty is, is really good. You don't want to sort of lead, lead her down the garden path, so to speak, you know, have a long-term relationship and then all of a sudden say, oh, I'm off to seminary. Uh, it could be quite painful for her. <laughs> but if you're really honest and open from, from the beginning, um, speak through those desires. Uh, but I, I would say it's, it's very normal um, for us to have mixed desires we're 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 human beings and um uh, and so praise god that you're you're in a, a relationship but also discerning priesthood um but i'd go back to that first advice um that i was given myself that if priesthood really is your vocation then little by little your love for the priesthood will grow and grow and grow to the point that your love for the priesthood is greater than the love that you can have for any other human person, and therefore greater than the love that you have for this girl. It might not be, it doesn't mean that you, you, you don't like her and you don't love her, but that, that sort of, that love between you and her has to be different, um, and that you're, you start discerning more seriously your vocation to the priesthood in the seminary environment. But yet, talk about that those desires, um, be very open and real with her and with the Lord um, and allow him and your spiritual director to help guide you um, as you make those very big decisions. Lovely. Thank you, Deacon Toby. What a great answer. And that tends to come up quite a lot when we have uh, the conversation and it's always uh, one on people's minds. I'm going to go over to Sister Frances now. He's got the next question, please. So um, thanks, James. I'm going to, um, this is for John. And it's um, about the Catanians in, in a parish. Um, how would I go about joining the Catanians? And is there a minimum age um, for, for joining? Uh, uh, yes, thank you. Um, no, the, I suppose the minimum age would be 18. We do have just one or two uh, teenagers in the association, usually they're the sons of Catenians. Uh, we are gaining quite a number of students joining, 
there are seven that have joined Exeter Circle in the last two years, and they have joined while at university. Um, you should be able to find out from your parish, but you can also find out by going on the internet. And if you go on membership at thecatenians.com, you should be able to find information there and you should be able to find your nearest Catenian group. Uh, so go on the internet. We are actually developing our internet provision so that it is easier for anybody to find out about the Catenians and what we do and where we are. Uh, there's no upper age limit either, as I'm a witness to. <laughs> but um, uh, do, do go onto the website and find out. Also, look in your church because you may find um, one of, of these leaflets at the back of church, and it may be um, posted up there, and that will give you a, quite a bit of information uh, about the Catenians. So it's a double leaflet like that. Lovely. Great. Thank you, thank you John. Thank you, John. And thank you for the answer to that one. Um, we are slowly running out of time. Um, there is one more question that we're going to take um, for Annabelle. Um, and then we're going to finish off uh, with a short prayer before we close tonight. Um, first of all, let's ask uh, that, that uh, question to Annabelle, which is, you have thousands of young people at your festivals. How are you making disciples out of them? Yeah, great question. Um, and I think the pandemic actually was a massive gift and opportunity for us in this space because um, events are a big job um, and so is discipleship and formation. Um, so we've launched a mission team. We have over 100 young people who commit, they donate, they serve. Um, they're so generous with all their gifts. Um, so that's one way. And we um, host events and things online for them to be formed. But last year and also tonight, we launched a discipleship course for identified leaders within our organisation. Um, they range in age, but they've all shown a real gift for leadership. And through this year long uh, formation programme, we're investing in them, we're offering them formation, we're offering them catechesis. And I think most importantly, and what the Pope's been talking about, um, we're doing accompaniment. So having that mentor to walk with them on the journey, um, having that person they can go to and just ask these questions about faith and the fruit we've seen from just finishing year one of discipleship was unbelievable. These leaders, this passion, this desire they have uh, to build the church. Um, yeah, I just can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do with this year two that's just started as well. Lovely. Thank you, Annabelle. And what a great question to finish on, um, you know, all about discipleship and our following of Jesus, because that's part of our vocation. Well, that is our ultimate vocation, our baptismal call on our route to holiness, to be with those saints. Um, it's been wonderful tonight um, to uh, have everybody on, our, our guests that have joined us and um, our panel 
mainly uh, that have been here that have prepared uh, for us tonight what they wanted to talk about, to talk about their own organizations and also to delve deeply into their lives and their own faith journey, their own vocation stories. So we thank Helena, Deacon Toby, John, Elliot, Annabelle, Catherine and Sister Philomena. I think I've got everyone there. I hope that I have <laughs> after I think that was all seven. You have been wonderful tonight and we've really, really enjoyed sharing this evening for you, um, thinking about vocations as we head towards the big day on Sunday itself. You'll be hearing lots of different things uh, over the weekend with regards to Vocation Sunday. Um, our vocation story is uh, a unique story in each and every single one of our lives. And we should continue to pray for that unique thing in our lives, following Jesus, following God, and listening to what he is telling us to do guiding us at every opportunity. And discernment is so important in that. We should never stop praying, never stop listening to the people that are around us. And that will be uh, where we will be guided. So um, a real thank you to everyone that has uh, joined us tonight and, and been a part of this amazing um, event on the lead up to Vocations Sunday. For the other events that we've got on, we have the Rosary taking place uh, with youth organizations around the country um, on Sunday evening at 7 p.m. live on Radio Maria, and we'll be joined by uh, Castle Rig Manor, the Corat Lumen Christi community, Westminster Youth Ministry, and the Radio Maria um, youth team as well. So we're really excited um, about that on Sunday at seven o'clock, where we'll be saying our vocations rosary live um, through Radio Maria England. So we're going to end tonight in just saying uh, a Hail Mary before we hand back over to Helena for uh, the rest of Radio Maria's programs for this evening. So let's just call our minds to prayer uh, one last time this evening. And we'll say together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Helena, over to you. Thank you for joining us with the conversation today on Radio Maria. We would like to thank the National Office of Vocations for leading and preparing this conversation. And we hope that everyone listening and joining in will have a blessed Vocations Sunday, which is this Sunday, May 8th. We will continue to uh, share the different videos on the National Office of Vocations, their Facebook page, where they have people thanking their priests, the consecrated people in their lives for the many blessings that they share. Uh, thank you. And we're going to finish off with Joseph Guilford, who is another deacon. He might be a priest right now. Who, who he's, getting, he's getting there. But this is his song. The choices and voices telling me who I'm meant to be. We are the branches and Jesus.
Jesus, you are the tree. Where shall I go? On you I call to you I go. You save my soul. Hoping, trusting, you will unveil this mystery. Deeper and deeper down we go. Into when I've never known Still your love has carried me so well But in the dark I could not tell And even when I couldn't see You had a marvelous plan for me Jesus, I will dare to trust in you in your heart is my vocation Then in 
priesthood just as you did. I did not choose you, but you chose me. Let it be so, for this I know outside your will I hunger still. Now I find fulfillment. 